You're listening to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, episode 56. the Eyes on Conservation podcast, where we bring you engaging conversations about wildlife conservation from all across the globe. I'm your host, Matt Podolsky. Today in the show, we are talking with raptor expert Jerry Liguori. Jerry works as an educator with Hawkwatch International, a nonprofit group dedicated to raptor research and conservation across Western North America. Jerry has worked at many of Hawkwatch's raptor migration count sites, including their site in the Goshute Mountains, which is the subject of this month's Eyes on Conservation film called Island in the Sky, Raptor Migration at the Goshute Mountains. In addition to his work as a biologist and educator, however, Jerry is also a professional photographer and videographer with a specialty in, you guessed it, capturing images of birds of prey. Jerry contributed some of his amazing raptor videos to our new Eyes on Conservation video, Island in the Sky, but his main purpose in shooting video these past several years has been to help put together a new raptor ID app. Jerry has been collaborating with both Hawkwatch International and the Cornell Lab of Ornithology these past few years on the development of this innovative new Raptor ID app, and they have finally released the app just this week. The app is called simply Raptor ID and is available for both Apple and Android devices. Um, I've had just a little bit of time to play around with it, and it is truly impressive uh, what they have got in there. So we'll delve uh, more into the details of this app and what inspired its creation in our interview with Jerry. Let's jump in. All right. I'm here with Jerry Liguori, who is an educator with Hawkwatch International and also an author, a photographer, and a raptor expert. Uh, how are you doing, Jerry? Doing great. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks a lot for coming on to the show. Jerry, you've dedicated your career to studying and also capturing imagery of birds of prey. Um, I'm just wondering where this interest in raptors first came from. You know, it started at an early age. I was lucky. Most people, not most people, but a lot of people, you know, retire and then find birding later in life. And I was about 16 years old and I just happened to come upon this group of turkey vultures that was, they were feeding apparently on a dead deer carcass and uh, I went by them and they all just got up at once and kind of floated around me. And I just thought, wow, these these birds are amazing. What are these? And my friend actually knew what they are. And he told me those are turkey buzzards. So, you know, of course, I used the word buzzard for a while till I learned the real word of vulture. But that's actually how I got started. And then I went to school for environmental sciences and I just you know, I just wanted to study raptors, you know, since about the age of 16. Of course, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know anything about hawks the first few years, but that's that's everybody their first few years. So it just as uh, the more I got into it, the more I learned, the more I relearned. And uh, here I am today, still, still love studying raptors. So you've written three books uh, focused on uh, raptor identification. Uh, I mean, what was your inspiration for these projects? How did you get into this field of sort of raptor ID? Well, I 
I grew up in New Jersey, so, and I went to school in South Jersey, which was very close to Cape Bay Point, um, which is a famous, you know, birding hotspot and hawk migration site. So I started going down there in about 1987. Uh, it wasn't until about 89 where I started going regularly, but I, I was just always fascinated with how these experts were identifying these birds and they, you know, they couldn't even see the, the plumage of the birds. They were just doing it on shape and flight style. And then there was uh, the book Hawks in Flight had just came out, which was the first real identification guide using that system of flight style and uh, structure. And, and, and I was lucky enough to be around the authors of that book. And, you know, I've, I flipped through that book and I thought, wow, this is amazing. This is great. But I always thought, you know, I would love to do a book down the road that kind of takes this to not another level, but a, a different angle, you know, uh, color photos that was black and white at the time. So I always had it in my mind that I would, I would love to do a, uh, a book. And I, I don't know why I thought that I was just an amateur at the time. So I just really focused on, you know, spending as much time as I could out in the field and taking photos of birds. And so that's really where the whole identification and, you know, book aspect of my life came from. And and what is that angle? You know, I mean, what what's sort of the unique angle that you take on raptor identification in, in your uh, ID books? You know, I, I try to teach people. That's what I do now is I love to teach people. And, and I try to teach them what to look at in each instance. So, you know, there's general descriptions of hawks. Everybody knows the description of uh, a red-tailed hawk. It has long but broad wings. They have a slight dihedral when they soar. The wing beats are kind of sluggish or labored. But, you know, I wanted to describe what, how do you identify a red-tailed hawk when it's flying away from you or when it's in a, a strong glide overhead or when it's flapping into a headwind. I kind of wanted to break it down into more specifics so that, you know, especially on a ridge site when a bird is gliding wing on out of the distance and you really don't see much. Well, if you know what to look for in that instance, then that that's really the key. And I also like to just keep it simple. Um, you know, learn the, learn the basics well, because that's how you identify 95% of the birds in the field. Anyway, a Cooper's hawk has a large head and a long tail and longer wings than a sharpshinned hawk comparatively. Learn that and learn it well before you start tackling the minutia, you know, because that's how you identify most birds in the field anyway. So, you know, that that's really what I like to teach uh, right up front. So uh, how does it feel to know that you're helping all, all these birders out there, uh, you know, who are now using your uh, ID books um, to, to learn more about uh, birds of prey. I mean, do you, do you hear from folks, um, that, that are using your books? Uh, I mean, have you gotten feedback on that? Yes. I get a lot of feedback these days. Um, you know, I wasn't very present on the internet after my first book came out, but now that I'm on the Hawk Watch Facebook page and, you know, there's an ask Jerry section of our website, I get a lot of emails and a lot of, uh, requests on Facebook for identification, or I get a lot of people that say, oh, I have your books and it's, it's wonderful to, that you're accessible, 
you know, to answer questions on the Internet. So, yeah, I, I do get a lot of that now. And, it, and I, I love it. I, I think it's great. I mean, I also want to be accessible. You know, you, you can read every book in the world, but, you know, to tackle all the, the pitfalls of identification and, you know, a, a blurry photo on a tree. Well, that, that, you know, a book may not help in that instance. So, you know, it's fun to be accessible and to, you know, get feedback like that. So these um, these Raptor ID books that, that you've written, I mean, these are uh, largely based on um, your still photography of, of raptors. Um, but, I mean, you, you've also spent quite a bit of time uh, sort of mastering this technique for capturing uh, video footage of these birds. Uh, when did you first start uh, becoming interested in uh, capturing uh, video footage of raptors? Um, it was probably about five or six years ago, I, the reason I started video was, I think, you know, there's enough books out there, but the one thing that was lacking was a video or a tutorial on how to represent raptors as they really appear in the field. And video is the only way to capture that. So myself and Brian Sullivan had the idea that we're going to do a raptor app We'll make it available to all phones and tablets. And the, not selling point, but the key feature in the app was was going to be HD video of all 34 species that occur in North America regularly. And so that was a huge undertaking to, to get all the species. First of all, it took quite a few trips around the country. And, you know, Brian actually went to Belize so I actually put the camera down as far as stills at that point and just focused on video. And yes, the ghost shoots was one place where, you know, it was, it, it's a great site for video because a lot of birds come by, um, close and far and, you know, they come by wing on below you, above you. So that, that is a great spot for video, but that's where my video passion started with this app. Um, and it's difficult. It's much more difficult than taking photographs. I mean, first you need, as you know, you need a tripod that is has a fluid video head. Um, if you shake the lens or camera too quickly to one side, it, you know, you've ruined the clip. Uh, so it's difficult to get a nice 20 or 30 second clip at full at normal speed. Uh, that's smooth, stable, and that really captures the bird. So that is, you know, that was my goal with video. And I am happy to say that I've completed that goal and I'm happy to go back to photos because carrying a tripod and trying to get video is a lot. It's a lot more work. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. It's it is it's a lot of extra equipment and like you said, you know, it's especially, you know, capturing footage of raptors in flight. Um and I mean birds birds in flight in general is um is a, a, a particularly uh, difficult challenge, um, and I, I was extremely impressed um, when when Neil sent us um, uh, a bunch of your footage to use in this video um, at at the quality and, and the smoothness um, that you were able to achieve in, in um, getting those shots. So it's uh, yeah, there's a trick to it too. I mean, you know, when you notice a lot of a lot of television shows when they have birds in flight, you'll notice they they usually show it in slow motion because a four second clip can turn into a 14 second clip in slow motion. So that's really the reason they do that. And the slow motion effect is nice, but 
Um, I mean, what else? Is there anything else you could point to, you know, for folks out there that are maybe interested in starting to think about maybe trying to capture video footage of birds in flight? One thing is you really need to know how to set your camera up for video. If you just put it on automatic mode, uh, you know, the wing beats are going to be very stuttered. It's not going to look natural. So knowing what frame rate to shoot at, or not frame rate, but um, what aperture and shutter speed is, is the first key. And so I shoot 60 frames a second, first of all, always, because it just, it's a it's a larger file, but you can always compress that. But it just the wing beats don't become blurred. You know, they, they look smooth and, and again, like you said, if you if you put that in slow motion, you know, it just looks wonderful. Thirty frames a second. It kind of gets stuttered. It, you know, it just doesn't have the frame rate. And I usually shoot high depth of field, you know, F twenty two, F twenty nine if i can this way you don't have to do so much manual focus while the bird is approaching you and and even at you know even with a a big aperture you you still do have to constantly readjust the focus manually and that and that takes a little time i i just i remember learning okay this bird's coming at me i need to readjust the focus just a hair okay it's coming there 20 feet just a hair at first i was you know Cranking the focus over, I'm like, oh boy, I just I just ruined that clip. So just little stuff like that, how to set the camera up. And there's other functions too within the camera that work better uh, than just your standard out-of-the-box uh, settings. But um, yeah, I mean, you have to have your tripod, has to have a level if you're shooting across the horizon with just your regular spotting scope tripod or without that level, um, the further you go across the horizon, eventually the image will, you know, won't be flat or level across the horizon. There'll be an angle. So that kind of ruins the clip as well. But yeah, there's a lot of little tips and tricks. And the first piece of advice I tell people is don't even start. If you don't want to be frustrated, don't start. <laughs> yeah, and it, it is definitely, there's definitely a learning curve there. And um Right. You're that yeah. certain level of frustration I think is inevitable when you first uh, get started um working okay. on stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I had to learn to keep the volume off of my videos after a while. <laughs> and just I'll, I'll dub wind in later, but and and you really do need a, a real professional mic. If you're gonna capture wind on your camera, the microphone in within the camera does not do a doesn't do a good job. Yeah, for sure. That that is an important point. Is is that you definitely need uh, a separate microphone to record audio, and um, like you said, it's 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 certainly possible um, in most circumstances to capture that audio separately, separate from mm -hmm. the camera. Um, I'll just mention here real quick. I mean, you're shooting this footage. Uh, you're shooting this on the same camera that you use for stills on a DSLR, I assume. Yes. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So I I guess I kind of want to transition here a little bit and. Talk a little bit about the the Goshoot Mountains uh, Raptor Migration Site um, in eastern Nevada. Um, I mean, is is this a site that you have been uh, frequenting for for a long time? I mean, you know, maybe you have a memory from like uh, the first time you visited the Goshoots uh, that you could share with us. I do. Yeah i I first went to the Goshoots in 
1998, and then the next three seasons after that, until 2001, I was one of the official counters. The thing I, I would like to impress on you right away is, I mean, when I showed up, I, I had heard about the ghost shoots. This is an amazing hawk watch. The birds come right by. They, they trap a lot of birds there. You get to see a lot of neat birds in the hand. You know, I had been familiar with hawk watching for years before that and hawk trapping. Um, but I didn't really understand how spectacular the site was. I mean, you, you, you drive down this dirt road for seven miles, which is already 25 or 30 miles away from the nearest town. And you get to this trailhead and you have to hike up about two and a half miles, I guess it is. And it, it kind of looks benign. It doesn't look like this spectacular site that everybody is talking about. And then you get about half hour into the hike and you reach a, a different, you know, habitat type. And you get a little further and you get up into this bristlecone pine forest. And then you get to the top and it is the most amazing scenery of any hawk watch I've ever been to. It. It's just night and day from the parking lot to the top of the mountain. And then that's what made me realize the first time I got up there, wow, this is amazing. It's a 360-degree view. To the west is just one mountain chain after another. There's the Ruby Mountains, the Humboldt Mountains. To the east is the Great Salt Desert. Uh, it's just a beautiful watch. Even on a slow day, you never get tired of the scenery. So if you haven't been there or even just in the parking lot. I mean, it just doesn't, it really doesn't look special. Even photographs don't do it justice. It's it's just a beautiful site that everybody should, if, they, if you love hawk watching, you should really visit this site at least once in your life. Yeah, I, I do need to get out to the go shoots. And every time I talk to Neil, he tells me that how important it is that I, <laughs> that I get out to the go shoots at some point soon. So um, I mean, I, I have seen all the footage, obviously, but um, so I can I can tell it, you know, I can at least get a sense of, of how special this place and and, you know, folks can watch this video and, and hopefully, you know, get a taste of, of what it's like to be up there in those mountains. But um, right. yeah, you're right. Like anything, you know, it's 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 obviously going to be very different um, being there in person. So I'm wondering, you know, what is it about the go shoots that makes this a special place for birds of prey? Well, the thinking is that there is this large salt desert to the east. And there are birds that travel along the Wasatch Mountains as well, 120 miles to the east of the Goshutes along Salt Lake City. But when you get outside of Salt Lake and you head west, there are some uh, mountain ridges but it starts to get a little sparse as far as, you know, the, the depth or the length of these ranges. And I'm sure birds migrate along all of these ridges. But once you get to the desert, it's a, it's a vast expanse of desert. So the thinking is that birds are coming south. And when they hit this desert and head to the west, they hit the ranges that funnel towards the ghost shoots. Um, Birds don't want to fly over the desert. There's not. There's no real food over the desert. Um, there's not the, the lift that the ridges create, you know. So that's the thinking, that the desert is funneling them from the east side. And another thing that's great about the ghost shoots, or any ridge actually, that is a long-running 
north-south ridge is that on on east or west winds, you're, you're going to get a flight. If it's an east wind, the birds are going to be on the east side of the ridge riding that east updraft. And if it's a west wind, they're going to be on the west side of the ridge. So that's one thing. It's very consistent as far as the hawk flights are concerned. I can also talk about what makes the site special in other ways. I mean, you're up at 9,200 feet in altitude. There are no cities nearby. The Milky Way and the stars at night are fantastic. I've never seen a Milky Way, a sky full of stars, as I have at the Go Shoots. So there's a lot of those kind of components to it as well. The camping situation, I mean, you're, 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 you're living out of a tent for almost three months, and you really do learn how to live out of a tent at that point. You know, I mean, I've done a lot of camping in my life, but when you're when you're counting on your little home as your tent, you learn how to set your tarp up and how to keep your clothes dry. And, and of course, the crew and the people. I mean, I, I've made lifelong friends up there. And, you know, a lot of people bring their guitars up and play instruments at night. And So, I mean, there's a lot of other factors that make the site special. How about the the actual research that um, is being conducted by Hawkwatch International, you know, up, up, up at this site? Um, you know, why is it so important to collect this data? I mean, maybe we start off by talking about, like, what just on a, the most basic level, like, what data is being collected by Hawkwatch up at this site? And, like, why is it so important to um, be sort of using this site to collect this uh, information about raptor migration? So what we collect up there is hawk count data. There's two counters every day. They count the migration that flies by, and we trap birds. And when we trap them, we we put bands on their legs, so if they're ever retrapped or found again, we, we can kind of follow the history of the bird. We've also done some telemetry up there, put units on, uh, golden eagles and red-tailed hawks and goshawks, so we can trap them, you know, via the Internet. But the import, the more important than that is the education that goes up there as well. I mean, when you're turning people on to raptors, I mean, you may spur on a, a lifelong interest for them. So that's that's another component that's just as important as the uh, science. But the thing about the count is it's the largest hawk migration in the western United States. So it's it's the best way to monitor populations of raptors. It's difficult to go out into remote areas or even just to cover a lot of areas. You'd need a, a ton of volunteers to do intense raptor survey nests for for nesting birds. So it's a lot easier to track them and to, and to count their numbers on migration. That You know, the numbers change every year due to weather and whatever other, other factors, but it's just an easier way to monitor the population. You know, the trapping is also... Besides the measurements we take and what we learn, uh, we've taken feather samples and blood samples. We also bring birds up to the visitors and show them a bird in the hand. And, you know, that's how that's how I really got hooked when I was younger. I mean, I was in the hawks. As soon as I saw a bird in the hand up close, I, I just couldn't take my eyes off it. So that that's another factor that plays into the trapping is is it it melds with the education, you know, very well. Have you have you spent time at many of these other Hawkwatch migration sites? Um, and is the Go Shoot still your favorite? Yes, and yes. Um, <laughs> the Go Shoots is always going to be my favorite. 
um, regardless of, you know, where I am. Um, but yeah, I've spent time at the other sites. They're all great sites. I'm every site in the, in the country or in the world is, is special in its own way. I mean, when I'm not at the ghost shoots and I'm at another site, that is my favorite site at the moment. But yeah, um, you know, we have a site, Bonnie Butte in Oregon, and you're looking at Mount Hood on the horizon. I mean, that's just another, I mean, you, another spectacular view. Uh, Chelan Ridge in Washington is another um, mountainous site with just a beautiful 360-degree uh, view. Uh, there's Commissary Ridge in Wyoming, uh, which sees a lot of eagles compared to other sites. Um, we have the Grand Canyon. We, you know, we count hawks at the Grand Canyon. I, I guess you could argue that that is the most spectacular place on Earth. I mean, to see a condor soaring over the Grand Canyon, it's, you know, I, I can't think of really a better a better site. But, yeah, and, and as we count at each of these sites, we correlate the numbers. Um, what's going on with kestrels at the ghost shoots? Is that going on at, at the Grand Canyon site? You know, so it's not just one site. The, the great thing is with this network of sites, we can – really get a better feel for the populations of birds. So you you mentioned this Raptor ID app that you have been working on as sort of your inspiration to start uh, capturing video footage of birds of prey. Um, but I, I, I want to sort of, I, I want to hear a little bit more about this project. Um, I mean, maybe first of all, you can just sort of tell us, you know, sort of at what stage you're at. I mean, is this app, available for folks to purchase yet um and if not you know how soon do we have to wait well it's available as of this week which is which is great it's been a um a long project and, and i've never done an app before that well i did an app before this but it, it's not even on the market any longer this it's this is a very interactive app with a lot of components and so it was a it was a difficult app to build, I'm sure, but it's out now. Um, we haven't really publicized it yet because we want to kind of give it a soft release and get it into the hands of a few and make sure it works. But it 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 works perfectly on my phone and my iPad, and I, I mean I'm really happy with it. So the thing about the app is, it's first of all it's it's called the Hawkwatch International's Identification Guide to Raptors. Um, it's, it's Hawkwatch's app. Brian Sullivan and I, Brian Sullivan is the eBird project leader for the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. He's a longtime friend and collaborator. We're kind of the co-authors of the app. Hawkwatch is, it's Hawkwatch's app in partnership with the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. So we, we've had, um, great support on this from both organizations. Cornell has given us the range maps and the vocalizations for each species. And so the range maps are also broken down with links so that you can, for each species, click on a link and see that species' um, most recent eBird sightings. Um, the app is also heavy on photographs. We, we tried to, you know, tried to really show all the variation and plumage of all North all the 34 North American species. So there's almost a thousand images in the app. The video, of course, has voiceovers and it's my voice, which I, that is not what I do for a living. So I was a little nervous about that. But but I think they came out great. And so while you're watching the video, you can listen to me 
you know, talk about what it is that you're supposed to be looking for. I'm describing the wing beats of a golden eagle. And so as you're watching it, you can see it yourself. I mean, if you're reading in a book or in an article how a golden eagle flaps its wings, it's it's not easy to grasp that concept. But if you're watching it with the voiceover, it's just an amazing teaching tool. So we are super excited about this. It's it's an absolute comprehensive field guide that is on that can be, you know, in the palm of your hand. So, you know, we're very excited about that. We also have a nice introduction and we have we also have text for each species. So if people want to read about their ranges and their migration. So it's a pretty comprehensive app. Um, and there's also an ask the authors tab. You can if you have a question about hawks or you want to I, an identification of one of your photos, you can submit it on this forum within the app. So, you know, it's just another feature. Um, so that pretty much sums up the app in general. Um, I'm very happy with it. I, I, I hope that we really promote it in this coming week and that people get it in their hands and enjoy it. I mean, it's really the culmination of what Brian and I, how we wanted to teach raptors. It's really, it's really a great guide. You know, I know that I personally have transitioned uh, over to using a smartphone app for bird identification instead of a, a traditional, um, you know, bird ID book. You know, I did it just for convenience, you know, just because I no longer have to carry. It's just one less thing that I have to carry with me out in the field. You know, I'm taking my phone with me anyways. Um, I don't also have to take this book, you know. But, I mean, it sounds like you guys are really taking this concept of um, a bird identification app to another level, um, adding these new elements to it um, that your sort of traditional uh, uh, bird ID app that's basically just, you know, all of the information that you would find in the book just translated, you know, onto your smartphone. Um, I mean, that's not exactly what you did. You took that and you took it to the next level and you added the ability to actually interact with the authors of the app and you have video and narration of that video um, and, you know, many, many different uh, photos from different angles, you know, showing all these different raptor species. Um, I mean, is is this the future of bird identification? I think so. I, how can it not be? I mean... It's funny, I was talking to a coworker the other day, and they said, what does a rough-legged hawk sound like? And I said, well, I have the prototype to the app on my phone. Let's, let's hear it. So, I mean, it has every aspect of raptor identification in it. I mean, it has vocalizations, um, which you'd have to go to the Internet outside of your book or whatever other medium you're using to find. So yeah, I think it is the future. Um, it's funny. Also, I was in Texas um, in September when I got the first build of the app and the first kind of, you know, prototype to make comments on. And I was showing it to Bill Clark, who's another Raptor expert and author of books. He's, you know, a very popular person. Everybody knows who Bill Clark is if you study Raptors. And he said, I can't wait to get this. I'm going to get a smartphone just to have this because when I lead tours, this would be perfect on my phone. I can just bring it up on my phone. Oh, I love this idea. And so that was just a great piece of feedback right there to have someone who's been doing it for 50 years and, you know, 
see this app on the phone and say, I, I need this. So yeah, I think it is the future. I'm, you know, I'm not sure you can get all 36 North American warblers in flight in video. I don't, I don't know. I mean, Raptors are a little easier in that respect. So I'm not sure that's the, that's going to happen for all groups of birds, but we do plan on maybe working with other groups of birds. I mean, I, I think I'm going to start on an owl app next, but yeah, if someone wants to do a gull app and, you know, this Raptor app has set this precedence now, I think people are going to start to expect, hey, you know, where's where's the video, you know? So, yeah, I agree with you there. Yeah, I mean, it, it really does feel like you guys are setting the standard, you know? And, um, yeah, I'm sure it would be extremely difficult, like you said, to get, you know, uh, uh, video footage in flight of every single species of North American warbler. Um, but Hey, you know, that's a challenge for someone out there, you know, certainly not an impossible task. So, exactly. you know, who knows, maybe in five years, you know, we'll have the complete, you know, list of North American bird species with this, you know, same level of detail that, um, <laughs> that you guys have with your, uh, Raptor, uh, ID app. <laughs> right. And as phones, you know, get more memory, maybe it is possible. I mean, 10 years ago, I didn't really see too many photos of warblers in flight that were really impressive. And now today, I mean, you can go on the internet and look at a, you know, black and white warbler in a photograph in flight. You know, the digital cameras can, can do it these days. But yeah, that won't be me that does the warbler app. I can, I can promise you that. (laughs) (laughs) Very neat. Very neat. Well, um, it's been fascinating to hear about this, Jerry. And I mean, the um, the the new Raptor ID app um, is is a really a really fascinating project, and I'm um, I'm really excited to to download it and start exploring that myself. Um, maybe just before we um, b- before we cut off here, maybe you can just let um, our listeners know where they can go to um, to find that app and to to download it. Yeah, you can go um, the Google Play Store. It's available for Android. It should show up if you um, search on Raptor ID, or you can search on Hawk Watch or Hawk ID. Um, and the uh, Apple Store should should come up with the same results if you, if you search on Hawk Watch or Raptor ID or Hawk ID or Cornell Lab or any of those things. Um, hopefully, all the keywords we put in there for for the search. Um, show up when you go into the app stores. So thanks a lot, Jerry, for coming on the show and sharing all this amazing information about Hawkwatch International and the Go Shoots Migration Station and and um, and your brand new uh, Raptor ID app, which I am super excited to 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 check out and start start exploring. So thanks a lot. Great, and you know if if people are interested in watching hawks and. Coming on field trips with us, just check out our website. We have a calendar of events. You know, our my, all of our migration sites are open to the public. And I would love to meet everybody. I mean, I love to teach raptors. So, you know, just keep an eye on our website for any of our trips or any of our migration site information. So, yeah. And if you haven't been to the Go Shoots, you, you really should check it out if you like raptors. Yeah, I got to get there myself. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) For sure. Well, thanks a lot, Jerry. All right. Thank you. All right. That was our interview with Jerry Liguori from Hawkwatch International. What a fascinating conversation about the intersection between technology and an appreciation of the outdoors. 
As I mentioned in the interview, I'm already a convert to bird ID apps. Um, I love that I don't have to lug my bird book around with me wherever I go. But what Jerry and his collaborators have done here uh, takes this idea of the bird ID app one step further. And I'm very excited to see how these ideas will develop uh, moving into the future. So if you want to check out the new app, it's called simply Raptor ID from Hawkwatch International. And you can find it in the App Store for either Apple or Android devices. I will mention that there is a cost to download the app. It's priced at $9.99, but all proceeds from the sale of the app go directly towards funding important raptor research and conservation work at Hawkwatch International. And of course, as usual, you can check out the show notes page of this website to learn more about all of the various topics discussed in today's episode. We'll have links to learn more about Hawkwatch International's raptor migration sites, as well as links to Jerry's uh, amazing raptor photography portfolio. Those show notes can be found at wildlensinc.org slash EOC56. This episode was produced by myself, your host, Matt Podolsky. Our theme music is by The Humidors.